I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, and we'll see what happens. I will tell you that I had a, a wrestling match this week with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And um, you're probably going to say, well, why are you using this text and you're not going to deal really much with it? I think you'll see it by the conclusion of the message. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll read 4 through 7. Father, help. Help us who are called by your name. Father, there is so much out there this day that distracts us. Father, there is so much out there this day that um, tugs at us, deceives us. The Father that is lacking, that is omitted. And Father, I lift your church to you this moment, this time. Father, me, I beg you. Help me. Help my brothers and sisters those that I minister intimately with shoulder to shoulder. Father, all those who bear your name across this planet. Father, help us. Help us walk worthy. In Christ's name, amen. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I like that. I just threw that in there because I wanted you to hear that part of it. You know, as a pastor, as a preacher, you know, I I, I grew up, well, I didn't grow up. I was exposed to the church that you had the altar call. Okay? Uh, you, You did whatever you did, and then you asked people to come forward and do whatever. You know, I've heard everything from make a decision to... Whatever it is you're supposed to do, repent or pray about this or respond. And, and I thought about that, and people asked me, so, well, you never do an altar call. That's not true. I have once. Um, twice, maybe even. I don't know. A few times. If the text requires it, the text requires it. Here's the thing that I've learned as a pastor, as a teacher I'm always preaching for a response, a change. I mean,. Um, we have been looking at 15 facets of love. We've been looking at love. We've been looking at God, if you really want to be honest with it. And I have to start it off with what is your response? When you look at God, what is your response? When you look at love, what is your response? You can't separate the two. God is love. So when I look at this, what's my response? And I think, you know, and some of you have verbalized your response. Some of you have completely missed the response. 
I mean, I, I say that as lovingly as I can. Uh, when I hear a person tell me, well, such and such isn't doing this based on what you taught in love, you've missed it. Because I don't know how many times in preaching of this text, I've said, you need to look in the mirror on this one. Um, and I, the Sunday school class this morning, I said, you know what, you're going through the gate by yourself. That narrow gate, you, you don't get to take your wife through. You don't get to go through on the coat of your Sunday school teacher or your preacher or an elder or somebody you knew once upon a time. You know, I have an uncle who's a Baptist preacher. It ain't going to work. I remember years ago I was exposed to a message um, that the guy had told me at that time. He'd been preaching for about 65 years. Uh, told me that this is the one message you'll never hear in the church today. And yet it is the one message that uh, needs to be heard. And I said, okay, what is it? And he titled the message, The Sinfulness of Sin. I mean, we're all kind of, we kind of understand that, don't we? I mean, we all look at it, sin, you know, I was a sinner saved by grace. I think that we were all here would agree that today sin has effects. Wouldn't we agree with that? Um, I don't think I can get any argument out of that. Uh, we know this by Scripture. Scripture tells us that sin has effects. But I can, we can also probably see it in lives, experience that sin has effects. Um, you know, uh, when I think about this, and boy, I'm going to get in some email on this one. Um, when I think about the disease of AIDS, do you realize that we can defeat that disease in one generation? Completely gone. And I don't even need a vaccine. I, I don't need a, a vitamin or a pill or a shot in the butt or anything like that. It's called abstinence. And it stops. Okay, but it has ramifications. It has effects. We all understand that. We recognize that when... Now, now listen, I'm going to be real specific today because this message was one of those that God said, you need to get this one down. Um, I'm talking to believers today. If you're a non-believer today, tune out. We recognize as believers that when sin is in our lives, there are certain things that take place as a result of that sin. Uh, scripture calls it the consequences of sin. Now, I want you to think about this because you're sitting there going, well, I thought we were talking about love. We are. I started out five years ago in 1 Corinthians. And the reason that I started out in 1 Corinthians is that I'm overwhelmed to preach 2 Corinthians. Why didn't you take 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians is ministry. That's what it is. But if you don't have 1 Corinthians, don't waste your time in 2 Corinthians. Okay, you know what 1 Corinthians deals with? Personal holiness. Not your wife's personal holiness, not your husband's personal holiness, not your children's personal holiness. It isn't really dealing even with your pastor's personal holiness. It deals with yours. Why? Because in 2 Corinthians, you must minister. But if you haven't dealt with the core issue, I mean, it's just like this text here, chapter 13, stuck right in between spiritual gifts. Why? 
He's already said, if you can have all spiritual gifts in the world, if you're doing it without a love, with no love, guess what? It's a zero. When I think about the consequences of sin, I divide it into two, two paths. Okay? You don't get, no, no, no. Some of you are thinking, all right, I'll just get on one path. No, no, no. You get both. Okay? Sin is um, non-discriminatory. It has equal rights. It, it loves it. First, now remember what I'm talking about. I'm talking about believers. Sin has a great effect on the soul of man. Okay? When I speak of the soul of man, when I speak of the Bible speaks of the soul of man, that is the relationship with God. Sin has an effect with the relationship to God. Um, a, a Christian who lives in a state of unconfessed sin. Okay, now what I mean by unconfessed sin. James says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Okay, the book of James is, is a fun book. It's a blast. Uh, I've seen it really get twisted a lot. But it basically deals with suffering. I mean, you who lack wisdom... Ask and he gives it liberally, so we all get ready to buy a new Studebaker or whatever, and, and we want wisdom. That's not what the book of James is saying. The book of James is saying, if you are in tribulation, ask for wisdom. Is it unconfessed sin that is causing it? Okay? And to confess my sins doesn't mean uh, uh, you go stand on the other side of that glass and then there's a speaker and you uh, I've really been bad. No, 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 no. That ain't what it is. Unconfessed sin. Confessing your sin says, I agree, God, that's sin. Okay? So when a person confesses their sin, they just come to a realization that, you know what? This is against God. This violates my relationship with God. And a Christian who lives in a state of unconfessed sin, unacknowledging of sin, forfeits blessings. Forfeits blessings. I want you to think about that for a second. What does God offer? What does sin offer? That's what it means to forfeit blessings. Do you believe that this sin or this purpose will help you? Will it satisfy you? Will it comfort you? Will it bring you contentment? Okay, take the same thing and ask yourself that of God. Will God satisfy you? Will God bring you contentment? Will God make you happy? When a Christian is in unconfessed sin, we take ourselves out of the place of being blessed by God. We mar that relationship that he has reestablished through the cross of Jesus Christ. You will put yourself in a place of loss of joy. It won't be there. You will seek all kinds of things to make you happy but you cannot experience his joy i call it a soul sickness okay the second thing that happens okay this affecting your soul the second thing that happens is that unconfessed sin has a, an effect on the physical body pain illness, um, and the such. 
Uh, one of the probably most profound illustrations of this is King David. Uh, in Second Samuel chapter 12, David, king of Israel, violates Bathsheba. Okay? Now, I've heard all the arguments on, well, Bathsheba should have... You know what? That's the king. Okay, so you can sit and tell me. I also understand the role of a man as the spiritual leader, period. And he doesn't get... Um, anyway. But not only does he violate Bathsheba, he kind of gets his hand caught in a proverbial cookie jar, finds out that she's with child. So she, he, King David, puts Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, into a place of compromise during a battle, and he is killed. So you have the king of Israel, an unconfessed fornication, an unconfessed murder. Child of God in a sinful situation. Not only does David suffer a soul sickness, that sense of alienation from God, but he forfeits blessing. Forfeits blessing. He doesn't get to build the temple. Part of the blessing, he doesn't get it. But if you're honest with Scripture, you'll find out that this soul sickness has an impact on the body. In the 32nd Psalm, David says this in verse 1, How blessed, I like that word, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessings. How blessed is the man to whom God does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. We deceive ourselves at time that this really isn't that big a sin. Or maybe the Holy Spirit is doing one of these in your heart, in your soul. Well, it's, it's not really talking to me. That is a spirit who is in deceit. Then this is what he says in verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Literally, his bones wasted away. That's what he's saying. My substance wasted away. It says this, Through my groanings all day long, through my cries all day long. I was sick in my soul all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. That may be one of the greatest understatements of a holy writ. Think about it. Unconfessed sin is under the hand of God. How heavy is that? Hmm. My vitality was drained away as the fever heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to whom? Yahweh. And you will forgive the guilt of my sin. 
David's sin had an effect physically on him. And failure to acknowledge that, to deal with it before God, gave David physical anguish, physical pain, physical suffering. Deep down physical pain, verse 4 says. Okay, so let me see if I can give you a conclusion on this. For a Christian to habitually play in sin will result in what I would term, however you want to phrase it, trauma of the emotions, emotional trauma, however you want to deal with it. Something in them, it will give them anxieties. Uh, anybody ever here doubted your uh, salvation? Only when I'm awake. No, have you ever doubted it? Okay, and you have an anxiety about it? How many times when you had that anxiety about salvation were you involved in sin? I would probably argue that every time. Because, see, when I have that sin and I know that it's sin, I know that God is going, what are you doing? Then I understand that that creates an alienation from the one anchor that I have. This emotional trauma can literally produce illness, debilitating. It can even become fatal the emotional center you take science the emotional center of the brain is a is a stem and what is amazing about this part of the brain is is that all of the nerves that run to all of the organs pass through this place this is physical i mean this is proven Because of that connection, that the nerves are going through this place of emotions, turmoil in the emotional center of the brain can create um, impulses, charges that go through the nerves that can cause all kinds of physical problems. Okay, I was reading some stuff by doctors. And they basically call these three lines that go through the emotional center of every human being. Um, One that goes through the emotional center uh, changes the amount of blood flow given to the organs. Okay? To the point that it can debilitate that organ. It can restrict the blood flow from an emotional sense to any given organ. Uh, By the way, you don't get to choose. Okay? Second line that science says is that it will affect the secretion of certain glands. Um, This would be hormones and stuff like that. Uh, And um, this can affect um, bodily functions. Okay? The third thing that it has the ability to do is to change the tension of certain muscles. Certain muscles that need to be tense will become loose. Certain muscles that need to be loose will become tense. Okay, 
So I have glands, muscular problem, and blood flow problems. And they're all running through where? The emotions. You know where the emotions is? That's where the soul is. It's a seed of the humanity. That's that place that nobody knows but you and God. Okay? You can be married for years and years and you'll have things go through that place that you don't even tell your spouse. And you sometimes will go, oh my, what was that? And just keep right on running. But that's the place that God is involved. So what we see in sin is this twofold effect. Spiritual and physical. Interesting concept, don't you think? Sin affects the body and it literally can affect it in such a way it can make you sick. Do you know that? There's a proverb that I stumbled upon. I'd like to tell you how it's profound and found this, but I just kind of stumbled on it because it's just kind of odd to me. It comes out of Proverbs chapter 15. <laughs> Verse 17 says this, Better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox served with hatred. I mean, when I first read that, I said, vegetables? Okay, some translations even call it broccoli. Broccoli with love is better than filet mignon. I mean, that's how I kind of looked at it. I thought, oh, man. Let me again give you what's being said by uh, Solomon. Listen, the illness that can result from a heart anxiety that refuses to acknowledge its sin can make you sick that you can't even enjoy the best of meals. That's what it says. That's what it says. Spurgeon English, a psychiatrist, wrote a book called The Practice of Psychiatry. And in that book he said this, Emotion can produce disease, and particularly the disease particularly the diseases produced are these <clears throat> that come from emotions. First on the list was jealousy, envy, self-centeredness, ambition, rage, and hatred. These have the greatest impact on the physiological side of humanity. These are the kinds of things that I look at this, I said, these are the kinds of things that create the trauma in my mind that creates the disease of my body. Did you get that? Terry, you sound philosophical. Listen, let me try it this way. Let me summarize all of this under one heading. Selfishness. Selfishness. Selfishness is the opposite of love. Okay, now I know you're all sitting there going, we ain't getting that out of Corinthians 13. Paul writes to Corinthians and tells them to what? Love. Love. Tells them that love is the thing that they need. It isn't just for the healing of your soul, 
but it is also physical. Do you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29? Let me read it to you in case you forgot. Verse 29 says, speaking of the Lord's table, for he who eats and drinks, eats, and the New American Standard translation is judgment. It literally means chastening to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, verse 30 says, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. The word sleep there means dead. They are partaken of the Lord's table in a sinful manner. They have not confessed their sins. They're not acknowledging their sins. They're doing it because, well, everybody else is doing it, and I'm eating of it. They're weak. They're sick. And some have even died. Why? They are under God's chastening. I want you to hear what I'm saying clearly. I'm not talking about lost people here. I'm talking about saved people. Listen, the Corinthian assembly were a bunch of people living in sin. And what's amazing about it is, God didn't give them one big old zap. <laughs> but they were under physical ramifications. There were physical things happening in the Corinthian assembly that were direct ramifications of this emotional trauma that they were experiencing in their souls. A non-confessed sin. Paul says, love each other. It's not just a soul issue. It's a body issue. Paul says, if you want to see the wholeness of the assembly, if you want to see the wholeness of your own body, (laughs) you need to love. Okay? Now think about this. All sin. Are we listening? All sin is a violation of love. All of it violates love. Paul is simply saying, you're sinning, so you are sick spiritually, you are sick physically. So here's the answer, Paul says in chapter 13. Love. And all this will disappear. It all disappear. That's a pretty heady statement, this thing. All my sin will disappear if I love. I ain't buying that. I don't sound right. Because I've loved before, my sin didn't disappear. I thought you'd say that, so turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. I'll let you take it up with my boss. Chapter 22, verse 34 is where we'll begin. I want to make sure everybody gets over there. If you have a red letter Bible, then you know that I'm not saying this. If you don't have a red letter Bible, then... 
Get your red coloring thing out right now and make it red. Verse 34, I love this phrase. This is one of my favorite phrases. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. (laughs) I love that. The Sadducees had done their best to put Jesus in his place, and Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. So the Pharisees, being who? Keepers of the law, decided that, (laughs) we'll fix him. Sadducees couldn't handle it. They don't even believe in the resurrection. We'll get him. Watch this. Jesus had silenced them. They gathered themselves together. And one of them, and it says a lawyer. You know what that means, right? An expert in the law. They know what the law says. I'm an expert in the law. I know the word of God. They gathered themselves, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. <laughs> There's right up here with duh. Okay? Verse 36, teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? See, if you can give us one, we'll stick with the one. And when we see God the Father, we can say, I did the one. How many of you do that in this room? How many say, here's what God says. All right, see, this in here is pretty easy. And you know what? I got some of you in this room right now who have gone through these facets of love are saying, you know what? I can be patient, but I don't know about this self not seeking my own. I'm not sure about this being jealous. And what about this envy thing? And what do you mean bearing all things? You know, rudeness? What? You know, I'll do this one and I'll do... You know, I got 15. You say you got to have all 15 or it don't work. But I bet you if I get 10 out of 15, I'm in good shape. I've heard some of you comment that way. I've heard some of you come up to me and say, you know what, Terry? What about such and such? They're not. And what about such and such? And they're not. And what about? And I kept saying, you know, how many times is this on tape? And is this on the World Wide Web? I said, you can't look at other people in this text. You've got to look at yourself. Well, you don't understand. Well, let me show you what it says here. What is the great commandment? And he said to them, Jesus, you shall... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. What does he say? So what is the wiggle area you get in that one? This is the great and the foremost of first commandment. This is it. You don't have to worry about it. The second is like it. What is that? You shall love your as yourself. Okay? Who's your neighbor? Anybody ain't you. Okay? How do you love yourself? Without restraint. All right? How do you love God? Probably the same way you love your neighbor. Now, I want you to read verse 40. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Interesting thought, don't you think? Let me see if I can be clear about this. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's what he said, right? Okay, let me see if I can be really specific about this. If I do those two things, I will do nothing to violate God or violate my neighbor.
Interesting concept. Ain't that how you read it? Well, I'm not really sure about that. Okay, let me give you another one. Go to the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 8. Romans, chapter 13, verse 8. It's funny how we get the first part of this, but we always miss the second part of this. Don't get in debt. That's what it says. Owe nothing to anyone except what? Love one another. Do you ever see what it says next? For he who loves his neighbor has what? Has what? Fulfilled the law. law. What does that mean? Listen, you know what is funny? If I love my neighbor, I don't need a commandment, thou shalt not murder. Did you know that? Because if I love my neighbor, I do not need a commandment that says I will honor my parents because they're my neighbor. I am to love them. If I love them, I will honor them. I do not need a commandment that says I shall not steal if I love my neighbor. Therefore, you have done what? You fulfilled the law. You fulfilled the law. Love fulfills the law. If I love the Lord my God with all my heart, strength, soul, mind, and strength, and I love my neighbor as myself, do you know what you just did? You do not violate God. You do not violate your neighbor. Therefore, you are not sinning. When you sin, you are in violation of one or both. Either I am sinning against my neighbor or I am sinning against my God. Well, that sounds so tough. Try it. I want everybody to walk out of here. Love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Knock yourself out with that. I know. God, that sounds frustrating. Mm-hmm. It is. Because some of you are pains to be neighbors with. I know. I fit that one too. Especially when I preach a message like this one. Do you understand why? It is so crucial to you and I this very day that we understand 13. I am tired of the spiritual sickness that exists in the body of Christ. And I see it manifested sometimes in physical ailments. And it is all this simple. Love the Lord your God. You know what? I don't even worry about the second one. I worry about that first one. Because you know what happens I've learned? If I love Him with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength, neighbor's a piece of cake. 
I don't have any worry at all. None. I, I don't even have to struggle with what neighbor he brings across. Why? Still God's creation. What if he's lost? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I don't have to be judgmental. I don't have to worry about nothing. Why? I'm loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Listen, he hung on a cross for me. He left heaven where everybody lines up. All the angelic host lines up. What do you want? They don't even ask him, why are you doing that? Whatever you want. Sure. Let me show you something. Well, that just seems so amazing. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace, unmerited favor, peace, tranquility in spite of everything going on around you. Be multiplied to you. I mean, where's that line? I want the grace and peace multiplied line. Okay? You know where it's at? In the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. I'm not making this up. Second Peter chapter 1. Seeing, all right, now understand this, grace and peace multiplied. Remember what I said? Anxiety, jealousy, strife. Sickness of the bones. Seeing that his divine power, how divine power is that? How big is the hole that we found today? Got nothing in it there, Rich? 10 billion light years? I mean, how big is that? I don't know. Okay, do you see what I'm trying to get at? How big is it? I don't know. How big is his power? I don't know. He's got a big erase spot up in space. All of creation, all the solar systems, all the stars are moving from one point to the next point. That's amazing. We just figured that out. Job knew it. That's funny. Job's, well, I understood that. He said he hung in the earth as a sphere. It was never flat. Job never thought the earth was flat. Science thought it was flat. Why? You go over the edge there, you'll see. All right, you go over the edge, you'll end up coming back. As far as the east is from the west. Don't worry about it. How is this divine power has granted to us what? Everything for life and godliness. You know what that is, right? Soul and the physical. How? His divine power. Already done it. It's already taken care of. How? Through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Interesting concept. Now, there's two key words here that I would point out to you. I want grace and peace multiplied. You're only going to get that through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Okay, great. I have been given by His divine power everything pertaining to life and godliness. And it comes where? Through the, and he words in there, true knowledge of him. I look at a lot of Christians today who do not understand grace and do not live in a state of peace and are busy busting their cans to get stuff done 
And the reason is, is that their knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord is not based on true knowledge of Him. It's subjective. It's subjective. That you become partakers of the divine nature, he says in verse 4. And I don't even want to exegete that one. That one there just hurts my feelings. Okay, how important is this? Okay, write this one down. You can look it up yourself. Romans 5, 5 says, By His Spirit, something has happened. What is it? Love of God has been poured into your heart. That's true knowledge. True knowledge. The Corinthians were loveless. They were like David. The Corinthians chose to violate each other. They were loveless. They were loveless. First six chapters, he deals with divisions and factions and fighting among each other, lawsuits among each other. It ain't until chapter 7 he says, here's why I'm writing to answer your question. Their lovelessness had taken groups and divided them over philosophy. Their lovelessness had given groups and divided over who was teaching and whose teaching I would sit under. Chapter 4 says they were anything but servants. Interesting text, don't you think? So how does that fit into the 15 facets of love? How does this fit? <sighs> How many in this room are ministry? How many in this room? are serving the body of Christ. With all their heart, soul, mind, strength. How many in this room, when you walk into the room, people can say, love, joy, peace, gentleness, Kindness, long-suffering. How many in this room take their lives and spend it on everybody else? Do you know what the alternative is? sin it's sin and that's the one thing that Jesus said I have come to overcome seven churches in Asia Minor two of them were commended 
the other five were condemned. And he says, I will remove your lampstand. And the American church debates, what does that mean? Okay, it's not that hard. What holds up the light? Lampstand. I'll remove that that holds up the light. In every case, yeah, I mean, have you ever thought about it? Church in Ephesus had their doctrine correct. They were reaching the lost. They had the perfect Sunday school classes. They had the perfect little worship for the kids. They had the perfect adults ministries. They were reaching the young people. They had alcohol abuse classes and all that other stuff. They had it all perfect. He says, but here's your problem. You lost your first love. Therefore, it is sin. What did I say sin does? It's a soul sickness that forfeits the blessings of God. You know what? And there's sometimes I'll admit it that I didn't know that was a sin. But I think about this. It's like baptisms. People ask me about baptism. Do you have to be baptized? Yeah. It doesn't save you. I mean, the thief on the cross didn't, wait a minute, I need to be baptized and then I'm going to heaven. Nope. It doesn't save you. It is an act of what? Obedience. And it's based on what? Love. Okay? And I got, you know, I tell everybody, you don't have to be baptized, but I tell you what, when he starts messing with your pride, it is all going to go downhill really quick. Because that's next. And if you, oh, well, that's kind of embarrassing to get stuck in a tank. Hang naked on a cross. Try that one. Tank, cross. Hmm. I'm going with the tank. I'll even go with the frozen baptisms that the Russians do. Twice. Why? It's love, people. Too many And I think too many in this room take ourselves out of the place of being blessed by God because we're busy. I have a lot of things to do. You don't understand. You know what? I bet you that he was hanging out in heaven thinking the same thing before he came down here and was born of a woman. Dad, I'm a little busy. Nope. Because he says, for the love of the Father, he did it. And we, gathered here today, claim to be his what? Learners, his disciples. We are his people. So, We either love or we sin. Okay? Doesn't mean you're perfect. You never heard that come out of my mouth. But if I'm not going to confess my sins, I don't have to worry about his blessings. If I ain't going to confess my sins, I don't have to worry about unity. If I ain't going to confess my sins, I don't have to worry about serving. I don't have to worry about any of it. You don't have to do anything. You might as well go pitch your tent on Sinai. 
Don't get me wrong. He'll still take care of you. He'll feed you. But you ain't going to get blessed. It's that simple. What happened to the church in Corinth? Same thing happened to David. Same thing happened to David. Too many in the body of Christ this day are more concerned about themselves than any neighbor. It's a sacrifice to walk with Christ. But you know what? I remember one time waking up from a partial coma. And the first thing that came through my mind is that you are not your own. You've been bought and paid for with a price. And I would like to say that since that little episode in my life that I have just walked this perfect walk of loving God and loving neighbors and all the rest of it, and I haven't. Natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is praised by no one. I don't need you to judge me. I don't need you to judge the person sitting next to you. You need to look in the mirror and ask yourself a simple question. How do you do with loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself? Understanding that you have peace, grace and peace multiplied you through the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You understand it's already there. Okay, I can't make you go and eat it. I can't make you go and study it. I can't make you bow to it. It's impossible. I can't do it. I'm a table waiter. God serves it up and I try to get it out without spilling anything. And what you do with it is up to you. We are partakers of the divine nature. I pray that you do not take yourself out of the place of God's blessing. I pray that you do not have the effects of this emotional trauma and unconfessed sin. And I pray that we draw together in the riches of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and love one another as Christ first loved us. It's passing it on. I'd like for everybody to bow your heads. This message that you have just heard deals with an issue that is not spoken of much in church. Okay? We have a tendency to think about everybody else's sin. But I have been in this church a few years. And I understand a lot of what a lot of you are dealing with on a daily basis. But I also understand what God has done. And I'm overwhelmed at times with my faith. Do I believe it? So how about you today? Some of you have been with me for a long time and think about the Barris and Karen and 
Stephanie. Some of you have been, some of you probably think, well, it feels like it's a long time, like the Hicksons and <laughs> the others. Understand this. It will not get easier from this day on. Difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, holding to a form of godliness and yet denying the power. Brothers and sisters, we are eyeball deep in that right now. Which side do you want to be on? Not seeking my own or lovers of self. I'm not going to say anything right now, and I want you to deal with it. You deal with it in your spirit, your soul, your emotion, with He who spoke existence into being.